0: I'm Steve Duke, and this is the Two Roads Podcast. Today on the show, we have a woman who's actually best known by her Instagram and TikTok handle, Five Foot Mall. Now, for the last seven years, Molly has worked as a ski instructor, traveling all around the world, chasing winter. But lately, she completely blew up on Instagram and TikTok. She started these accounts only a couple of months ago, and combined now has eighty thousand followers across the two platforms and that's actually how i found her i saw this reel where she was talking about the day in her life of working as a ski instructor and i thought i have to talk to this woman i have to have molly on the show and so today i had a conversation with her and it was really fantastic you're going to hear about the video molly watched at 14 to lead her To only ever do things she loved and to base her career around that theory. How Molly has spent the last seven years traveling the world and working as a ski instructor. What to do if you want to travel more in your life but are afraid or don't know where to start. I know a lot of people who are in this situation and Molly has some really great advice which she shares during the episode. What happened with her two social accounts on Instagram and TikTok and how she amassed 80,000 followers on those two platforms in just two months. We talk about what life is like living in Japan and some of the things that most surprised Molly about living there. Molly has a really unique and wonderful attitude to life that I'm really drawn to and that really resonates with me and I think that comes out during our conversation. So just before we get into today's conversation, there's something that I really want to tell you about. And this is something that I've been working on for actually quite some time. If you follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn, you may already know about it. But if not, what I've announced over the last week is a new program called Divergence. And this is all about trying to help people find a job that will actually make them happy. So I started this podcast with that I realized there's a lot of people who were doing a job that they didn't really love, but weren't sure what it is that they did want to do. And hopefully, whether this is the first episode you've listened to, or whether you've listened to many of them, the podcast has been helpful in that way. You've been able to listen to people's stories, hear what they do, maybe get some inspiration or motivation from that. But it's still really hard to actually go through that process of figuring out what specific job is it that you'd like, what sort of lifestyle do you want, and then making that change from whatever you're in at the minute into that new career. And that's what this program is all about doing. So it's a four week program specifically designed from all the lessons that I've learned about what works, what doesn't work, when trying to find out what it is that you want to do. I'm only going to run this for a small cohort of people on the first time around. So you can sign up now for the waitlist so that when it fully launches and you can actually book a seat on it you'll be first in line if this is something that you're interested in you can find the link in the show notes for this episode so just in your podcast player you can open it up and at the top of kind of the description of the podcast you'll see the link and that's what you can use to sign up to the waitlist and then also if you follow me on socials all the links will be there as well but for now i hope you enjoy my episode my conversation with five foot mole Let's get into it.
1: Growing up, all of Instagram was always like everyone's best bits and stuff. And recently, I've started seeing a lot more people sh- showing reality side of things on it. And I think that's what I want to, I want to do is show more, more reality on on Instagram and TikTok or wherever.
0: It's very wholesome as well, though. Is that something that you consciously do?
1: I didn't think about that. So many people commented that on that that video you were talking about, the intro about me one. I didn't really think about it being wholesome to me. It's all quite normal.
0: Well, I guess maybe normal life is sometimes pretty wholesome. So it's, you know, by definition, the normal stuff is wholesome, and it's only when we go away and try to create this like perfect, like created picture that then it goes away from wholesome. But maybe like that's what people see so much in their feeds. That when they actually then see something that's normal, they're like, "Oh my god, that's so nice. That's so wholesome." Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, so unnatural, but it's normal.
0: <laughs> and so, what you you started the Instagram only a couple of months ago, right? And it just it kind of blew up. How many followers do you have now?
1: Thirty-seven thousand on Instagram, and then it's like forty-five thousand on TikTok. TikTok went crazy first, and then the Instagram was a bit slower, but still, like, yeah, I started two months ago. And I didn't expect any any of it to go like that crazy. Like the ma- the main reason I started was because I always get questions about like traveling and how to work abroad and all this stuff from friends of friends or like my sister's friends or whoever. And so I, I was thinking like, oh, I could just say all this stuff in videos, and then it could help them. And then I won't have to type the same paragraph over and over again, sort of thing.
0: So when did you start the the TikTok then?
1: I started them both at the same time. What? because I never used TikTok before and I always thought it was all like, you know, all the dancey, dancey platform and everything. <laughs> but I thought, well, if I'm posting to Instagram, I might as well post it on TikTok because it was just the same thing, really, like reels. And then, yeah, that, that went crazy. Within, within, I think it was like three days and then I had 20,000 followers and I was just like, I woke up and I was like, whoa, what's going on? Well, <laughs> because of, all because of the micro pig video, really, originally, which the story and that is all true. I genuinely Googled coffee, wanted a coffee, and that was the closest place, the micro pig cafe. And obviously it's so – it's funny because to me, like, I, I know about them and, like, I know they're a thing, so it's not abnormal, even though it's, like, obviously different and cool. But to people in other countries, it's like, whoa, what is that?
0: So for people who are listening to this and – and mightn't have seen the video or know what this is. What are they?
1: It's a, a cafe, basically. You go get coffee, and I think you can. I think there's food in there. I don't know. I didn't get food, but um, and then there's loads of little micro pigs running around, <laughs> and there's other ones like cat cafes and they've owl cafes, and some of them are like ethical, and some of them are a bit dodgy. But like that's, I think that's the reason why it went crazy because there's all this controversial like opinions on if they're good or not. But the micro pig cafe, like they adopt the pigs. It says they do. I mean, no one really knows hundred percent what, what they actually do, I guess, but, but a random little thing to do.
0: And before this, like, had you been kind of making content before? Because your content is quite good, right? Like, is it something that you'd always been doing, but not like trying, not posting that much or like, or did you just start?
1: Yeah. Like, well, I, st- I started this Instagram as like a completely new new Instagram. So like I had my old Instagram was just like my Instagram, and and I would always post sort of little edits of me skateboarding or skiing or snowboarding, and like mash them together. And then I've done a, a little bit of social media work before with like out in in the snow and helping people make edits. I always love making edits. I like making edit on my phone in like five minutes, but it was more of a COVID thing, I think, that I picked that up because I had so much time. So I just – and I, I always run out of storage on my phone, so I, I thought I need to put them all together and then I can delete all the videos and just have one, smaller one. <laughs> so that was the main reason why I actually started this one because I, I ran out of storage and I was like, I don't want to delete them all though.
0: <laughs> I think I saw in one of your videos that you said that When you were 14, you watched this video and the video said something along the lines of, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I've seen that video or I've read that quote. Um, I think a a lot of people probably have and they look at it and they go, oh, yeah, 100%. I completely agree. And then they never do anything with it. They just go back to whatever they were doing before. Um, You're not the same. You did something different.
1: When I was 14, I like watch so much YouTube and I would always watch, this is something that no one knows about me, by the way, like barely anyone knows. I would just watch video after video of motivational videos of like speakers like Les Brown or Toby Robbins or like Mel Robinson. All of them, I would just have them on repeat. And I was so interested like growing up about the mind and how some people can be unhappy and how some people can be happy sort of thing. So I was always like, I want to be doing something I want to enjoy, and hearing like them all talk about how you know you don't need all the money to be happy. Like if you're truly happy and all of this stuff, it. I remember just thinking like, I just want that. I still listen to them sometimes, but not as much as I used to. But i I moved away from my my school town. My family moved an hour away, but I still went to that school. So I lived in an area where, like, I didn't know anyone, didn't have any friends sort of thing. So I didn't really have much to do, so I just watched tons of YouTube videos, motivational videos. (laughs) Sounds quite sad, but...
0: (laughs) So when was the first point then that you actually put this into action?
1: Like, through school, I remember, like, going to certain lessons, and if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do well in it. And so it's sort of, for me, it was always, like, if I enjoy something, I'm going to put a lot of effort into it. And then when it got to that point where it's, I was 17, everyone was thinking about going to uni and what they were going to do next. And I remember having absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And I didn't have any like passions. Like I didn't think I had any passions. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do anything at university. I don't really know what I want to do. And it's a lot of money. The only reason I wanted to go to uni was to party, really, because like, everyone said it was so fun. I thought well it's not really a good enough reason to go is it but so I remember sitting down with my parents and they were like well what what do you actually enjoy doing let's break it down and think about a few things that you actually love and I'd been skiing like 3 times and I wasn't a great skier at all and I but I loved it and I was I love skiing I love photography and all the things I sort of loved all of them sort of things where it's hard to make a career from. My mum found a course which her friend's daughter did in New Zealand. And then I signed up to that without a clue of like what I am signing up for. I signed up like the ski instructor's course. So it's a 12-week course and you, you have two exams in it, like the level one exam and the level two exam. And you get all this training either side. But to sign up, you need a certain minimum ability. And I was the worst person out of like 60 people. And it's funny, I got a job at that same mountain the next year and my trainers and examiners said to me, Molly, we all laughed a lot about you when you first arrived. <laughs> because I couldn't, I couldn't even ski. Everyone else was on their like uni race club teams and all of this. And I was just 17 I thought you just signed up and then got this certificate because it's a long course. I didn't know you had to really learn about it and do these exams. I didn't know anything, honestly. I just, I learned so much though through doing it.
0: You do this, what, age 17. You just like move to New Zealand, do this course. Your parents were like, they were supportive of this. They were just like, do it. That's incredible.
1: Get out. (laughs) No, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were really like, their, their deal was they would pay for half the course and I would pay for half the course because the courses are really expensive, like really expensive some of them because they come with accommodation and some of them are like 10, 12 grand, some of these courses. But I chose the cheaper route because obviously I had to pay half of it. so And so I just chose the route of just the, the training and the exams. I didn't include accommodation or food, which everyone else in my course had. So which was really stupid because I got there and I was like, oh, where am I going to live? <laughs> Why don't <am> I? <laughs> all right, so the, the the girl that my mum, my mum's friend's daughter was, she she was out there. So she picked me up from the airport and I didn't know who she was at all, but I, she let me stay on our sofa for a couple of days and then I found someone on Facebook who I lived at there like through the groups of rentals, lived there for a bit and I ended up actually joining the course halfway through like where where they lived because it was just too much of a struggle <laughs> back then but um yeah I was 17 and turned 18 when I was there so I'm a late birthday I'm in August and yeah I didn't really looking back I didn't have a clue what I was doing whatsoever but <laughs> I learned a lot.
0: At the end of this course And are you like Oh yeah, this is, I actually really do love this. Like I want to, I want to do this for a little while.
1: When I was doing the course, we're on a mountain and there's all these instructors around and they've all, some of them have been doing seasons for 10 years. Some of them have been doing it for longer. And then I thought, well, I can like have fun, ski and get paid. So why would I not keep doing this sort of thing? Because I was always thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to uni at some point because there's all that pressure around going, get a degree and all this stuff. So I always thought about doing it after that, that year and then I thought, oh, I'll do another season, I'll do another season. And then now I just don't, don't think about going at all.
0: But <laughs> You reckon that's it?
1: I think so. Maybe in the future if I find something I want to learn about but I think I'd I'd need the interest to do it.
0: I went to uni after school, but then sometimes I thought about, oh, would I go back and and do something? Because I think, like, as I've got older, there's been things I'm, like, genuinely interested in, and I'm like, I would actually, like, I would just want to learn about this thing, and so uni might be a good way for me to learn about it. Um, but that was not the way I was thinking about things when I was leaving school. You know, I was just like, no, no, I'm just going into a degree. Like, I wasn't even that, like, fussed about it.
1: You have to make it your life really, don't you, to to really excel in it.
0: Exactly. And and I think it was hard because I, I did okay, but I never excelled at it and I never worked in it because I didn't love it. And there was other people in my course who were like obsessed with it. That's what they did at the weekend. You know, that's what their interests were, especially after school. I think in school, I think in school you can get away with it. You know, I was quite academic in school, even in the subjects I wasn't mad about because I was like, I don't know. You can just put it in. But I think once it gets after school, you're not able to do that anymore. If you want to be really, really good, you actually have to be interested in it and like putting in the extra work. So then what? Do you start doing like ski seasons in different parts of the world once you've finished your like course?
1: It's really hard after you just pass the exams because you don't have any experience. There's all these mountains that are hiring ski instructors in Europe or wherever, and they all want a season or two experience. And it's like, well, how do you get the experience if you're not going to give me a job without the experience? So it's really hard to find somewhere. And it got later and later before the northern hemispheres in Japan and Europe. And this someone just posted on this Facebook group I was in for the ski instructors saying about this job in Japan in a place called Aomori. And no one took this job. No one wanted to take it. And I didn't know why until I got there. But... (laughs) I was like, oh I'll take it, because they didn't need any experience or anything. I got there and basically Aomori is like the most Japanese town ever, with no foreigners. Like it's right at the top of the main island of Japan. And when I tell people now that I've done a season in Aomori, they're always like, What? Eh? Eh? Like so shocked. Because you don't you don't see foreigners up there. And I was the first time they ever hired a foreigner and the only one. So I was the only ski instructor that was a foreigner up there. I didn't know a word of Japanese going. I didn't know anything about Japan. At this time I was 18 and yeah, I remember getting to Tokyo and I was like, how do I like read these signs? I don't know what I'm doing. And this old lady helped me with my giant ski bag that I had. And and yeah, I got picked up. I got a bus to Almory somehow. And I got picked up by this little man in this van. I didn't I also didn't get a SIM card for years because I thought, oh just survive off Wi-Fi and do it cheaply because I don't want to spend money on a SIM card. So I had no SIM card or anything, and this man came running over and he was like, "Mori, Mori!" And I was like, That's me, yeah, I'll just get in with you, and then you can take me wherever we're going. And then I got to this hotel and the reason no one took this job it, I, I basically lived in this hotel and the nearest supermarket or convenience store anything it was like a half an hour drive down the mountain and I obviously didn't have a car so i was pretty much stuck there it was great i got to ski all the time i've got i got the proper culture shock basically of japan which if you go to some westernized areas you wouldn't see so much but i got the full experience which i i did hate for about a month and i was like what am i doing here i can't speak to anyone like I don't know any Japanese, this is so hard to learn. And no one spoke English up there, like barely anyone, but a lot of people were coming up to me saying they want to learn English and stuff. So, and then, but I ended up enjoying it a lot after, after I thought like, oh, I'm going to have to like immerse myself into this culture properly. It was great. Like one of the best things I've ever done.
0: How did you get by? Like, did you start like learning the language and stuff?
1: a little bit. I don't think I knew that much back then. I learned a lot because I knew nothing. So I I'd, I'd learned it seemed like I learned a lot. And I I learned, you know, how to be polite, which is really important here. Um but I honestly don't know how I got by. I remember one time the some some of these Japanese people took me into the town because I didn't really get out much and they took me there took me to their bar and took me to this club and then Took me back up the mountain the next day, and I have no idea how we communicated because I didn't have like Google Translate. I don't, I don't know what we said to each other, but it must have just been funny to watch.
0: (laughs) On one hand, I imagined that that was like hell and a nightmare, like being stuck in this place where you can't speak the language, you've no idea what's going on. On the other hand, I'm like, wow, that actually sounds pretty cool to go straight into like a really authentic like Japanese like place and have those experiences so it's kind of like flip side right
1: yeah definitely and now I think I see so much that like if if I could go back there now and have that opportunity now I think I'd I'd learn so much more because of that area like around where I live now there's a lot of westerners and there's a lot of English speaking going on and especially the sort of people I know everyone's speaking English so it is hard to learn Japanese because you're not listening to it, around it all the time, you have to really make an effort. Whereas up there, it would be so easy to, well, not easy, but easier to learn because it's all you hear. I think I, I didn't put as much effort in as I would now back then.
0: How many years ago was this?
1: I was in 2016.
0: And so for the last seven years, have you been living in winter and kind of going from ski season to ski season?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I did back to back winters since then until the COVID year, and then I went back to the UK for the summer. But I still worked in the indoor snow centre, so I was still on the snow. i was still in like three degrees, minus three or whatever. If you saw me a month ago, I'd have been really burnt because I haven't seen the sun that much. So this is my first proper summer, really.
0: And so, for someone who like doesn't know, like how does that work? Like the Northern Hemisphere winters for ski instructors i guess or what like europe japan and canada
1: yeah american canada
0: yeah and then in southern hemisphere new zealand anywhere else
1: new zealand australia and chile
0: and so where where did you split your time across
1: so i've mostly done just new zealand and japan back to backs really so i did five in new zealand and then i worked in italy a little bit for some of the winters but we could only do a maximum of eight weeks there so it was more on and off
0: how long do the seasons last and like what do you do in between what does a year look like you know if you were to kind of take a 12 month you know period
1: december through to march april is the japanese or northern hemisphere winter and then you've got may and a little bit of june off or free or trying to find work basically most of us and then you've got June, July, usually June it starts and then ends in October, the Southern Hemisphere winter, and then you've got end of October, November, and start of December, also struggling (laughs) for most people. I think a lot of people think ski instructors are rich. That's what I have this perception of, or a lot of people have the perception that ski instructors make a lot of money. In France, they do, because their wage is high and they have to be really high qualified, but... Most ski instructors I know are always struggling because of that. Because of that time off, it's really hard to find a job for a month. No one's going to give you a job for a month unless you lie to them. Really, before COVID, I would fly back to the UK between every season because I could work there. Because without a visa in these countries, you can't you can't find other work because usually you just have a visa for the specific work, and so. I flew back to the UK. I remember working three jobs at one point just to afford like flights to the next place and the next place. And that's what it's constantly kind of a cycle of like buying flights, waiting for your first paycheck and then like being okay and then buying flights at the end again.
0: And does that like stress you out or are you just like, ah, oh, it's part of the lifestyle I'm used to it and and it's kind of, uh, you know, something that you're willing to put up with because of all the other things that you get from this kind of career and lifestyle.
1: I think it, it did stressed me out at the start a little bit because I I wanted to go you know I wanted to go and work at these places and I wanted to make sure I could do it so I would put a lot of effort into making money in those between seasons because on the seasons it's I don't I, I never really thought about saving money too much which I should have but I was always like oh just just have fun while you're here and everything and then it gets to the end of the season then you need the money but I think now I'm I'm okay with it. It's sort of it builds up a little bit. But because I started when I was 17, I never really had savings, you know. All well, my savings went on that first winter. So it's been hard to create the savings to then be able to do those things without worrying too much about work between the seasons or sort thing.
0: Of. And I imagine as well like once you are working and you're getting paid like you want to reward yourself right otherwise you're like well why am i kind of paying for these flights to like get here and then work my ass off to like just be saving right like you probably want this is the time when you want to actually enjoy yourself and do some fun stuff
1: you want to travel a bit at the end like in new zealand i wanted to go around the south island and spend a load of money on that and because you want to explore you know you don't want to spend your whole time working in in that country you want to see it as well definitely
0: and so, what does a typical day look like for you then when you are working?
1: Sometimes you have a lesson booked in in advance, and sometimes you don't. And you'll go to this sort of lineup, and you'll get a lesson if it comes, and if not, you don't. It's ski and is not very consistent either. We've got the busy periods like school holiday periods and everything like that. you your confirmed work, everyone's guaranteed work, but the start of December or end of March, you're sometimes you're working, sometimes you're not. So. That's why like the more you return to certain places, ski instructing and more exams you do, the higher you go up priority lists at most places to be confirmed for more work. So it's kind of like a reward scheme a little bit.
0: But you only get paid if you do a lesson.
1: Yeah, sadly. And there's only a max you can do, right? Because there's only a certain time where the ski lifts open. So generally, we usually work like a group lesson would be like 10 till 4. So it's like six hours. That's, that's it for the day. So you can't really do overtime if you want to because the mountain's shut.
0: I guess on the plus side, you get to live on these pretty amazing mountains. And- do you ski or snowboard?
1: I do both. I've skied a lot more and I'd say I'm better at skiing, but I teach in both. And I, I like to sort of even it out now while I'm here on my days off.
0: In terms of kind of this, you know, work and lifestyle of kind of doing like always kind of living in winter and doing ski seasons in different places, like you talk about how some people think that like ski instructors are rich, right? Whereas like, that's not the case. So that's kind of like a misconception some people have about the people who work in these kinds of jobs or live this kind of lifestyle. What other like misconceptions do people have? What are they typically, typically like surprised about when you tell them?
1: People think ski instructors get to ski a lot. When actually you, you spend a lot of time. I spent like three years, my first few years on the magic carpet, like the beginner slope every day with the young, sometimes three year olds, you know, that sometimes don't want to be there. And you just have to do that. And you, you get the days where you get to ski, but obviously we all do the job because we love skiing, essentially. No one does the job because they like looking after crying three year olds, but. You don't get to ski that much, which is one of the reasons a lot of people quit at the end of the day of ski instructing or find a different path so they can ski more because of that work-life balance because ski instructors don't get paid that much. You see the lesson price and it's like $1,000 a lesson and that ski instructor's getting paid like maybe 50 of that. That's a big thing at the minute where people are really struggling because the pay is really quite low in most places. Australia actually is... The highest paid country, I think, for ski instructors,
0: the thousand dollars. Like, does that go to like the ski school, and they just kind of own the customers? So then they get that a thousand dollars, and they're like, "Oh, my, you know, here's fifty bucks for like your lesson."
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like, especially if you're working in big corporate companies like like Vail or you know the big, the big ones, Whistler, or they're they're making a lot of money. Whoever owns them companies, and in New Zealand as well. Does anybody ever go direct?
0: Like if you had like somebody who came to, you know, the same place, like maybe a couple of seasons in a row and they know you and they like you as an instructor, like for their kids or for themselves. Cause they just like, Hey Molly, like next year, why don't we do this? And you know, I'll pay you 500, but you keep the whole 500 cheaper for me, better for you. Does that ever happen?
1: Yeah. I've thought about it so many times and I would absolutely love to do it. And everyone would, but the only issue is insurance problems. Like if someone, if I was teaching someone and they, did break their leg it would be my fault and you're not insured whereas when you work for the companies you are insured with these sort of things so that's the main sort of hindrance I think there's other ways to go about it like you can sort of do guiding and you can get certain insurance you can packages for these sorts of things but you have to build up that clientele as well so then you you have that work coming through so at the start it's just not doable at all one day that will be good. The dream, you get paid what what they pay for the lesson.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you get people. Maybe maybe you do. Maybe you don't. You can tell me, right? But I'm. I would guess that you get people saying, you know, oh my, you know, it's time to settle down. Like, do you want to, you know, come home or go back to uni or get a get a real job? Do you get that a lot?
1: I don't get it a lot, to be fair. But I have seen it a lot with other people. I'm lucky that my parents really think what I'm doing is is great and they don't think of uni or settling down as a they, they don't fit that social norm as seeing that as like you've made it they sort of see what I'm doing as you've made it which is great because they, they always say like they wish they could have done it when they were growing up but it wasn't do it wasn't so sort of feasible for them and same with like my my granddad and he always loves hearing the stories of what I've got to say whenever I go home and I've got a good support system but I know a lot of people do end up backing out of the lifestyle because of that. There's no consistent pay and all of that. It is hard to make it a life in the future, especially if you're thinking about having kids and that's going to cost loads of money, all of that sort of real life stuff. You need a real job. But I haven't had the pressure too much, which is why I want to keep it going and want to encourage other people to do it as well because I always think at the end of the day, like, you can do that in the future if you want to, if you want to settle down, if you want to focus on it, you can do it. But if you don't ever do this part, then you're never going to do it.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. You can't really go, you, you know, you can't be sitting there at 35 with like three young kids and, you know, just go to your partner. Hey, I was, I was thinking about going and, you know, working a couple of ski seasons. <laughs> like <laughs> that's not really going to work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've missed it.
0: I'm sure that there's people who like dream of this and for a couple of reasons don't do it right i imagine one of them might be like pressures of um the people like either parents or friends or family whatever else saying like no 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 like come on you have to go to uni or you have to get a job like don't go off doing this thing there might be other reasons as well you've got somebody who's like kind of on the fence like i kind of want to do this but like i'm not sure what is it that you'd say to them yeah so are they kind of the common reasons then that you hear from people it's like oh i'm afraid of the unknown
1: yeah, actually, since, since my, starting my account, that's like the biggest, most common question I see is people being scared to, to do it, saying, like, oh, I want to do that, but I'm scared or I don't know how to start. And I think the fear is a big thing for people because it's like the fear of the unknown. But for me, I always think the excitement like overrides the fear every time because there's so many opportunities. I think thinking about the opportunities you'll gain through these experiences is way better than not finding anything out, just being in the same position you're in. The first step for me was always thinking about what I enjoy and giving it a go and then trying to make that a lifestyle. Book a flight and go. (laughs) And there's so many people in the same boat as well. A lot of people don't realize they think solo traveling or you know I don't know I'm going to be alone have no friends and so far from home but there's so many people in almost every country doing the same thing you'll meet them like-minded people I think people are scared to be alone and scared to change if they're in a comfy life where they've got their friends and they've got this routine changing the routine is hard and especially with this kind of lifestyle where nothing's really constant things change a lot so it is scary for a lot of people but i think it's exciting like for me if i was doing a job for two years i'd be quite bored i think even though i'm doing the same job like moving around keeps it really exciting for me
0: but the fact that like you were doing this you know you started traveling when you were 17 like it strikes me that you're naturally quite comfortable with change but there's some people who like kind of naturally that's not their preset right they're not naturally comfortable do you think those like those people can kind of start to get more comfortable with like less structure in their life and having a bit more change. Or do you think like, look, if you're predetermined to like comfort, you should probably just stick with that because you would hate this lifestyle.
1: It can be eased into as well. You know, you don't have to do like fly to the other side of the world. Like I did when you're really young, but you can start with like a day trip somewhere random on your own. I think doing things alone is really important to feeling comfortable. Because if I had always done what I've done with a group of friends or like a partner or something, I don't think I'd be as confident. I think the solo side of it, doing anything alone, even if it's just like going for lunch by yourself, which is a really weird thing in most Western places. But in Japan, it's huge. Everyone just eats on their own a lot of the time, has lunch on their own. And it's really common, but sometimes it can feel really awkward if you're alone sort of eating. To most people doing like small things going to places on your own and then building it up and then like feeling comfortable with that i think that'll that'll be good for people that are nervous to do it
0: let's talk a bit about kind of solo traveling then as well because i'm I'm interested in that side of it what does your friend group look like you know do you end up kind of working like similar seasons to other like ski instructors or is it a lot of like oh i'm friends with people for four months and then i kind of never see them again like how does that all work out and how, how do you find that?
1: Yeah, it's a mix, really. Some people, yeah, you, you're with them for a season and then you won't see them ever or for ages. And that, But in the snow industry, a lot of people are going to the same places, really. There's there's only so many places you can really ski, especially in the southern hemisphere because there's not as many places to go. A lot of people get pushed there if they're doing it full time. So you end up seeing the same people over and over again. Or I've had friends on my first ever season And then I haven't seen them for years and then randomly they pop up in another country at the same job as me and I'm like, hey.
0: (laughs) That must be amazing.
1: It's so cool. It's really cool. You always know someone who knows someone. So if you do go to a random place, usually someone has worked with your friend there and then, you know, you've become friends with everyone. And it's a really nice. Everyone's there because they love the snow essentially. So you've all got something in common from the start.
0: And so I imagine you know with all the adventures that you've been on started traveling and like working in all these different countries and doing a lot of it solo I imagine you've learned a lot about yourself what are kind of the things that that fall into that category things you've learned about yourself over
1: the past few years confidence is a big thing that I've learned I think I've always been fairly confident but the confidence internally as well because I've always sort of seemed confident a lot of the time but maybe worried about what people thought of me and stuff and I think in the past few years, especially start, since starting my account, I'm just like, I don't care anymore what anyone thinks of me, which is a big thing growing in that. And sometimes when you do go solo to certain places, like oh, I remember in just a few months ago in Vietnam, I went to a bar, like at the, at the rooftop, and everyone was with their friends. And I just went on my own and I sat there and I was like, this is a bit uncomfortable and awkward because, like, you know, you should be chatting and having a good time with your friends, or you know, it's just sort of sitting there and, so, but putting myself in that uncomfortable situation, it makes you feel more comfort in, in those situations. So I think growing in confidence is huge and learning a lot about other people and taking bits of other people that sort of become bits of me, essentially at the end of the day, like you meet so many cool people, in the world like if you go and explore other places people who do travel that you meet outside of their hometown like they're looking to find find out more you know they're hungry for more adventure and more life and so you end up learning so many things from other people i think learn how to cook which is good (laughs) from living in shared houses (laughs) definitely couldn't cook when i was 17
0: (laughs) It is so true though, like from meeting other people or experiencing different cultures and you just like pick up whatever you like from those people or from that culture. And you're like, I'm just going to take that with me now. And that's now part of me and part of like something that I do. And so you end up with this like mix, like lucky bag of random stuff, but it's all the stuff that's like resonated with you, you know? And so I, I think that's always quite nice in terms of caring less about what other people think like how have you managed to do that like what's that journey been like because i know that's something that holds a lot of people back from doing a lot of things you know whether it's a different job or moving or relationships or anything
1: recently especially since starting this these accounts because i would always used to you know look at posts that i was going to post multiple times and be like should i post that i don't know And really overthink it I, i don't know why but i think a lot of people do it they're like oh no Maybe I won't post that. But at the end of the day, it can only gain things or experience or share, share experience with other people, I think. There's, there's so much to gain and nothing to lose, really, There's a lot of things you go for in life. And if you have that fear, if you let it take over and you are too scared to do it, then you're not going to have that opportunity. But if you actually go for it, then you find out, you're going to find out if you like it or not or find out so much about yourself through it
0: so what's going on then with the account now like what's your plan do you, you know you've had this like mad growth over the last couple of months you want to i presume you're going to keep going right and try and turn this into something
1: i'm definitely going to keep it going my goal was to always sort of keep going to grow it and i did not expect it to go so quick but now like seeing how many other people have questions about it i want to answer them and i want to I want to encourage other people to travel like and with social media even though it can be a really negative thing you can reach so many people with it that you you can't reach in real life you know I'm trying to share that with people from the other side of the world that they can do it as well and that I want people to know that you really don't need loads of money to travel I think that's a common mis- misconception as well that all these people that are traveling are rich when a lot of people are just spending the money they have on traveling and it doesn't have to be a lot a lot of the time
0: have you started like trying to monetize like your accounts
1: at all yeah sort of reaching out to brands i want to start doing that and working with other people to monetize but i've been quite careful even though it grew quite quick and i could have monetized a bit earlier like i've had a couple of people reach out but it's people that i don't See value in or want to work with. So, I want to keep it 100% me and like 100% what I want to share with people. I don't want to end up doing a job, even if they pay me a few grand for a video or something. I don't want to do it just because of the money. I want to do it because it's something I believe in and want to share with people. Because at the end of the day, if I'm looking at Instagram and someone's selling me something that they don't actually believe in, I think you can see that for one and two. It's just not true to themselves.
0: Like you might be able to cash in on the short term with a couple of nice brand deals, but like, you know, long-term, that's not going to be where you want to be because like people, people can feel it. People notice it and pretty much straight away. Can we talk about Japan a little bit? Because a lot of your content is obviously based around Japan. You've spent a lot of time living there. It looks fucking amazing. It's on my bucket list to go there. I've never been. I've never been. And so I have a friend who spent a lot of time in japan growing up and his dad actually owns a farm in japan and so we're always talking about going over there and he always says to me he's like steven you particularly would love japan and i'm like oh my god uh, so i really want to go i really want to go
1: come to japan it's life-changing
0: really why do you say that
1: the culture is so different to western culture and if you you know do immerse yourself and take parts of their culture you learn a lot about sort of slowing down life and the respect over here is huge which I think we don't really have as much in western culture <laughs> like the respect level and that's a really big thing yeah
0: how does that like show up in kind of like day-to-day life
1: it's a big difference everywhere you'll see it in Tokyo like even if you get first day you'll be on a train and no one will talk because they don't want to annoy other people because because of the work culture in Japan that, that everyone knows they work crazy hours people are tired and then so other people want to have that respect and not make someone's day a bit more annoying because of talking on the train something that you wouldn't think about in western countries you know you'd chat to your friends on the train and stuff but over here you wouldn't be talking on the phone or it even has signs saying like no talking on the phone put your phone on silence because they want they want people to enjoy with peace
0: that's so nice <laughs> what else about kind of japanese culture like surprised you
1: i think they just always think about other people here which actually a lot of my japanese friends say that that's what they don't like about japan because japanese people end up not sharing their opinions so much and not speaking up about certain things but a lot of westerners really not like that about japan but it's one of them things where they always think about the other people first before doing something, such as like wearing masks, because they wore masks here before COVID. and Wearing masks is to prevent other people getting sick, not because of themselves. How nice people are here. Along with the respect, they're so helpful and friendly.
0: Do you have like any like stories of, of that happening?
1: Oh, quite a few, yeah. <laughs> I've got, well, My first winter I got helped so many times by so many people because I didn't know what I was doing (laughs) at all. Like such as the lady who was helping me with my ski bags and I just remember people saying good morning and I was like this doesn't happen in the UK. I don't know, this isn't normal for me. People being overly friendly. Or like if I needed to call someone I could or their farm, which obviously happens in West Western countries as well. But I think, like around where I live, there's a lot of farming areas because it's in the countryside, and neighbors will constantly come around and give you vegetables like, from their garden, and always just trying to give to everyone.
0: Like those kind of things are all like quite small and simple, but like I imagine they add up to like a feeling you know where it's just like you feel like when you feel that people around you are kind of nice and are open to helping you if you need it I think that probably like makes makes you feel differently
1: the feeling of safety definitely safety is the biggest reason I love like actually living in Japan because all like half the things I do here I couldn't couldn't do back in the UK and New Zealand's also a really safe country, but back in the UK, like I wouldn't walk down a street in London at nighttime on my own if it was like a dark alleyway or something. I don't know. It just seems kind of scary. But over here, I would have no second thought about it ever. In Tokyo, it's crazy how safe it is. I'll leave my phone, wallet, everything on a table. I could leave it there for two hours and I'll come back and it's there. It's really wild. Yeah, there's people passing out on the train station floors at like 5am after a night out and they've got their phone and wallet out no one will touch them which in the UK that'd be gone in two seconds probably
0: <laughs> it's so true I had a similar experience when I was in Singapore and I was with um, a friend who lived there at the time and we went to one of the hawker markets and it's like right in the middle of the city like super super busy like tons of people going around after work and my friend like left his work bag with his laptop in it like just on the table and walked off to get food and I was like, Kevin, like, what are you doing? that's like, going to be, it's going to be gone. He was like, no, no, no. He's like, honestly, not here. He was like, it won't, it'll be here when I get back.
1: Singapore is, I think, the safest country in the world.
0: No, unfortunately, some of the reasons it's so safe is because if you do steal stuff, they like chop off your hand or something crazy, right? Like, well, I don't know if it's, it, it, it's, it's not that, but like, they're, they're super, they're super straight.
1: There's crime underground
0: but yeah but it's, it's more it's more that like if you if you get caught doing something like the punishments are like super severe right like they just like really cracked
1: down. it's quite similar in japan i think actually with that the whole the whole police side of things is kind of scary sometimes to think about in in japan you can get held for like 20 something days with no reasoning they can take you to and put you in a cell for it's like 20, 22 or 28, I can't remember, days with no no reason at all. and you, you, it, it could have been someone else that's done whatever. It's not a big thing, crime, so you don't see it happening much. But I think that's why like, when something does happen, it's really big.
0: What are some of your favorite places around Japan?
1: Osaka is my favorite city. Well, I went to Kyoto this year, actually, and I'd never been before, and that's really nice. But I only spent three days there. Osaka is a really cool city. I've been there quite a few times. I'd rate it higher than Tokyo, because people there are so chill and friendly. And Tokyo is like crazy and cool, but people are in a rush always, constantly, everywhere. Whereas Osaka, I think people are more relaxed and friendly. A lot of people say that about Osaka as well. Osaka is really nice, and then Shizuoka, like by the coast, also really nice, and then Nagano niigata prefectures is where i spend most of my time which is the countryside and this this is what i want to sort of share through my videos is more of the countryside of japan because people the countryside is struggling business-wise hugely in japan not not enough people go there and then a lot of the japanese younger japanese people when they get old enough they get out and go to the cities because there's there's nothing going on really it's lovely and relaxing and slow life but it's not enough going on for people to stay but it's so beautiful and I think they just don't push the tourism enough the tourists don't think to go out into the countryside but it it's where you're going to find the real Japan
0: yeah that's interesting because when I think about going there it's like yeah sure I would want to go to the cities but like Uh, for me the attraction would actually have been more the countryside and maybe that's because like i have a friend who grew up in the countryside of japan so he's told me about this and i've seen like pictures and stuff and so maybe that's why i'm attracted to it but for me that's what seems it seems so so beautiful so stunning like lots of different types of landscapes and as well like depending on where you go it seems awesome There's this video on your profile that I actually want to read a little snippet from it because I I watched the video like 10 times and I thought it was amazing. I want to ask you about it. So you'll recognize it straight away. Obviously, it's your own video. But you say the point of this video is to remind you that your loved ones won't be around forever. So go on adventures with your mates, be there for them through the hard times, dance through the good times, celebrate their birthdays, celebrate their big wins and small wins, support their dreams, even if they're far-fetched. And it goes on like this and you said really wonderful things. I think this is so I, – I saw this and I was like, that is fucking amazing. I love that, like, kind of attitude and intention that's that's behind that. Is that something that you, you try and, like, practice in your own life?
1: That's my favorite video.
0: Really? Why? What, what do you like about it so much?
1: Something I, sh- I believe in really strongly. I think a lot of people take – friendship or family for granted so much i definitely have done it so much before but when something happens you realize the importance of it so like appreciating those sort of things every day i think is more important whilst you can you know whilst you can share it with other people and show them the appreciation because a lot of people won't know how much they mean to you unless you tell them
0: i think anybody who watches that video or kind of hears that will probably agree. And again, they often kind of just then go, oh, yeah, that was lovely, and go back to my life. But for me, I think it's like, no, fucking do something with it. It's so easy to just go back to, like, your your default life or, you know, it's like, oh, what are you going to do this evening? Oh, I'll just stay in and watch Netflix, right? And it's like, well, no, like, does your mate want to go for a beer or do you want to go, like, watch the sunset or have a surf or you know, why don't you plan that trip that you always talk about, but like you never actually do with your friends. Fucking do it, you know, don't talk about it forever because you talk about it forever and then you wake up and, you know, it'll be a couple of decades later and maybe you're not friends with them anymore. You know, God forbid, maybe they're not here anymore. Right. And so well, what what good was all your talk about plans?
1: 100%. I think that's that's so important, definitely. The fact that you, your life isn't promised, tomorrow's is not promised. Again, one of the quotes I remember from years ago is this one where it said, if you're not here tomorrow, would you be happy with what you've done today? And that's why I try and live by a lot and think, you know, would I be happy with what I've done today? And at the end of the day, sometimes obviously you're not doing something you're passionate about. Like I, I had to work in Tesco's through COVID because there was nothing else to do. And I wasn't passionate about it. But if you make it enjoyable, if you look at the positives and, and get the maximum out of that, then you'd be happy with what you've done today. But if you focus on the negatives, then it's always going to be a negative situation. When you start focusing on the negatives, there's so much that you can see. You could go into a rabbit hole a bit. But if you start flipping that and focusing on the positives of sort of any situation, there's so many positives that you can see as well.
0: And it comes back to, I think, one of the reasons that you are talking about why people you know, won't go and take a risk and, you know, go traveling or a ski season or whatever is because they can see all the things that will go wrong, right? They can see all of, like, the downsides, the potential pitfalls. Instead of looking at the flip side of, like, well, like, what are all the things that could go right? All of the things that you can't even think of, but the unexpected things, like, you know, the people that you might meet that you don't know, right? The experiences that you might have, the trips you might go on, And that you haven't even planned. You don't even know about these places yet. And it's just like shifting to what side of the coin you're going to look at, at. And the decision looks a lot different.
1: At the same point, you can, you can have a negative and a positive opinion of the exact same situation. Like, like my situation where my life's not constant. I move around a lot and don't have a constant income. Don't have a constant group of friends. They could all be really negative things. But you could also see it as really positive things. There's so many positives in most situations.
0: Do you have any dreams for yourself?
1: I think, that after all, starting this account and everything, I've realised I want to do more of that and go maybe into full time content creation and use use it to inspire other people. So if my dreams is to. Continue inspiring people to travel or, or work abroad and learn through them, them experiences because there's so much to learn through travel and working abroad that you can't learn in, in a classroom. So I want to keep sharing that with people. Inspiring like other girls to ski and snowboard or skateboard is a big passion of mine as well. Trying to even out the ratio between men and women in snow sports and skateboarding or any, any sort of sports
0: what's holding that back do you think
1: I think it, it's always been always been looked at as like a male industry sport in in big competitions the prize money was always a lot more for men to women in most most competitions in like skiing and snowboarding and only recent years they've made it equal in most countries in Japan it's still not not equal in some some competitions, even though they're hitting the same jumps, they're doing the same course. The prize money would be a lot lower for girls. So I think when ge- young girls see that, they think that they're not worth as much, you know. And it's not just down to competition, but generation above me who were all ski instructors. I grew up when I went to France. Every ski instructor I had was a old French man. <laughs> like there was no girls, really. Even when I took my exams, there was one female trainer, and there was like ten male ones so i think having someone to look at that's done it then you can see yourself doing it a little bit more
0: that seems to be like the biggest thing in kind of increasing like participation in this like you know because there's so many sports that are like that right like surfing is a big one as well and but then in australia you know you kind of have a couple of like amazing um women australian surfers come through and suddenly, you know, that young girl like looks up to them and idolizes them. The same thing happened with the the soccer recently with the Australian women's team, like the Matildas, you know, getting all the way to the semifinal. And like the country went crazy for it. And I, I don't even, I don't know if it was just kind of like, you know, the bias of it being everywhere that I started to notice it more, but like I would go to the park and I was like, I don't think I'd ever seen as many like young girls just like out playing soccer or like playing around. Do you know and um, and i don't know if it was because like i was more attuned to like noticing it and they were always there but like it definitely felt like um there was such a buzz because you know you have to have idols right like you have to have somebody to look up to and if you do then you're like oh i want to be like them i want to follow them especially as a kid right it's so simplistic like all you want to do is that like, you see something on the tv and you're like i want to do that <laughs> you know then you go to the park and you try and do what they did yeah that
1: happened with skateboarding as well like Skateboarding just got put into the Olympics only a few years ago. And as soon as it got put into the Olympics, people started seeing it as like a sport and then wanted to do it. And there was a huge boom in like skate. I ended up getting qualified to teach skateboarding over one of the COVID summers and and so many people wanted skateboard lessons. But before that, because the guy I ended up working with, he, he'd run a company for, for a while and, you know, it wasn't like that before, but as soon as it was in the Olympics, young like anyone, not just girls, but everyone was sort of seeing it as like, well, oh, maybe I could do that now. Because it wasn't really seen before unless you went to YouTube and watched some skateboarders edit, which everyone sort of saw as people like that don't, don't do anything apart from go to the park.
0: Well, Molly, thank you so much for, for coming on and having a chat with me. I had an absolute blast. You've got a cool story. You really do.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that chat that I just had with Molly. If you want to go and find her on socials, you can find her at Five Foot so that's the number five, F-T-M-O-L. You can follow her there. Her content is really, really nice. It's really, really wholesome. If you have any interest in Japan or traveling or working as a ski instructor, um, I definitely recommend going and giving it a look. It's really beautiful content. That's all for today. I will see you back here next week for the next episode of the Two Roads Podcast.